Are there too many U.S. treasuries? Now, this is something we've heard for many, many years, really going back to 2009's stimulus bill, the ARRA. And it's not, it's, it, it's not unexpected why that would be, because it's understandable the government continues to borrow and borrow and borrow and borrow and borrow with seemingly no limit. And any rational human being would say there has to be a limit. There has to be the furthest extent that Uncle Sam can go into debt on our behalf, of course, before it gets to be too much. Yet time and again, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in as far as the fiscal deficit, we see that Uncle Sam has no problem really selling its debt to not really the public, but mostly financial institutions who have an insatiable appetite for those types of instruments. Today we were reminded, or this week we were reminded, of too many treasuries in a trio of auctions that Janet Yellen, who has been very busy issuing U.S. treasuries because the U.S. government has been very not busy collecting taxes since tax, tax collections have fallen way off, they sold $103 billion in three auctions. The three-year auction was fine. The 10-year auction was absolutely stellar. Uh, the high yield was under 4%. The bid to cover was relatively robust. And then the very next day, it's like somebody flipped a switch. Bloomberg, CNBC, all they could talk about was the weak 30-year treasury auction and how this represented too many U.S. treasuries. We're only beginning the August deluge of treasury sales, and it's supposedly going really poorly. Is it really going that poorly? Let's, let's ask Mr. Stephen Van Meter. Steve. You saw the, the bond auction, the 10-year auction on Thursday, and everybody thought, well, this, there's so much demand for treasuries, dealers didn't need to buy any of it. And then the very next day, the 30-year, everybody said, there's so many treasuries, dealers had to buy all of it. What's going on here? Yeah, it, it's always the case. And, and what, you know what I love about this, Jeff, is you know, anytime you know, the Treasury comes out and announces what they're going to be funding, there's just this chorus of hedge fund managers, money managers, economists, people who have no idea what they're talking about. And it's like, oh, look, at there's so much supply. There just can't be any demand. So the, there's only one logical conclusion is that rates not only need to go up, but they need to go up substantially to get people to buy it. And yet, what do we see? Money pouring into CDs like mad. And who's buying it? U.S. investors, U.S. consumers that have excess money. They're saying, look, how can I turn down, you know, four or 5% rates? The issue then becomes is who would want to have their money for 30 years? Are they insane? Because didn't we just tell you rates are going up? Look, no one wants this garbage. And yet, as you keep saying, there's a healthy, strong demand. It's almost weird that there's no real number of what the treasury can issue that people just won't buy. And who cares that the, the dealers bought some of this? They're going to sell it at a profit. We know they will. That's their business. I think that's the biggest part of all of this, is that we agree with everybody that this is insane. The government should not be able to just sell as much debt as it wants. It should not be borrowing a trillion dollars a quarter. We agree with that. What we're saying is that there's a reason why they can and they can do so at rates that are way less than short-term rates. That's the inverted yield curve. And we need to be listening to the market. We need to be listening to this demand because it tells us something important, not about Uncle Sam and deficits, except maybe what's going on with tax collections. It tells us about perceptions. because Steve is right. You could say to yourself, 
why would I own a 10-year bond at 4% or you know, maybe a little bit more than 4% when I could do a 12-month CD at five and a quarter? And the answer is because maybe interest rates aren't going to be at five and a quarter very long. And the further you want to go out in time, the more people agree with that position who say, maybe I want to lock in today while I can. And the more people are trying to lock in today, the more demand for farther out in the future it goes. And that tells us something about market perceptions of interest rates and therefore economic circumstances. It's not about Uncle Sam and deficits. It's about fundamentals. Yeah, Jeff, because if, if I'm an investor or money manager and I'm looking to put some money out, say, for, for 10 years that I want, uh, we'll just say a fixed rate of return, and I go out and look at other bond markets, maybe I look at corporate real estate, I look at other avenues, and I have to make a premium. I have to earn some sort of premium over the risk-free rate. And I know some people are shaking their head, but it is the risk-free rate. I mean, that is what treasuries are. And maybe there's an insurance cost or some other factors I have to build into this. And the reality is when they do their math, you know, treasuries, pretty good deal. And that is actually, that's what the problem is with the yield curve. It's telling us, look, in the short term, yes, the Fed has jacked this thing up and they've manipulated it. We get it. Out of the long term, there isn't a whole lot of other choices out there. Because if there were, if there was 8, 9, 10, 12% money at a 10-year rate, yeah, 10-year yields would be way higher. But they're not. Because there's no growth opportunities out there for people to invest their money. And what it's not just, as you said, perceptions. That's a factor. It's also the reality is there's nothing out. That's another point that we need to stress, and we do stress over and over, is that what we're really talking about here when we talk about specifically the U.S. Treasury market is demand for safety and liquidity. So what you're saying is, I want to, I want safety and liquidity, but I want to go out 10 years to get it, and I'm willing to pay a premium for safety and liquidity over and above the rates of return that I could get on safety and liquidity in the short run. So what you're saying is that in one sense, you expect the demand for safety and liquidity to go higher into the future. Now you don't maybe know, you probably don't know when that's gonna take place, but what you're saying is balance of probabilities, I'm thinking more people agree with me than not and that demand for safety and liquidity is gonna go up. And then you start thinking, well, why would that be? So to set aside that 30 year treasury auction from Friday, because that was just a quirk. I mean, for all we know, that was just August and August is a particularly quirky month for treasury sales to begin with. but. Even so, why would people be afraid of safety and liquidity? I mean, <laughs> do we really have to look hard for that many suspects, Steve, here? I mean, safety and liquidity, when we look around, we talk about China, we talk about Europe, we talk about deflation, we talk about recession. We also talk about bank crisis because there's stuff going on there too. So there's no shortage of suspects that would drive safety and liquidity in the future, whatever that means. Yeah, absolutely, Jeff, because a lot of investors or you know, people watching the show right now are saying, well, wait a minute, why would I time my money up for 10 years when I can get a better yield at six months? All right, well, let's put this in a different frame. What if in six months the economy is in a major recession or we have a financial crisis or something in China blows up and the Fed's back at zero? When you renew that six-month CD, it's not going to be at prevailing rates. Well, at least not today's prevailing rates. It's going to be at future rates, which would then in turn make that 10-year or 30-year note very attractive in terms of yield perspective. And so that's the other factor the bond market is kind of telling us, which 
of course, as you know, is what the yield, inverted yield curve is exactly telling us is that, look, the probabilities that the Fed is going to cut short-term rates at some point in the future is exceptionally high. And if you want to hold on to a decent yield, you've got to go out the curve and there's plenty of demand for it. Let's talk about the second half of the safety liquidity formula. Let's talk about liquidity for a moment, because that's that's often something that drives people into treasuries, not just today, but in, wanting, to, wanting to keep them in the treasuries for the future. Because as you're saying, Steve, a liquidity problem, maybe like March and April, maybe a little bit bigger than March and April, that would certainly do exactly what you described. That would get the interest rates to go down all across the money marketplace in in uh, really in a really hurry, in a real hurry here. There was an article that came out just a couple of days ago, and I know you know this, Steve, but I think I think a lot of people missed the message in that article. It's about commercial real estate. We've been talking about commercial real estate, but there was a couple points in there that are worth really highlighting here in the context of liquidity risk. Let me read you a little bit here. Uh, Banks seeking to sell commercial property loans are encountering a dried up market with few options for an easy exit. Banks have been eager to sell what they can at times to shore up liquidity or to avoid complicated situations that may crop, crop up when a loan is maturing and needs to be financed. For some lenders, taking a slight haircut on the price may be better than running the risk that the lender has to foreclose and ultimately ends up stuck with property, according to Gregory Haygood, president of Solit Capital, which has an investment banking practice. So, so far, so good. But here's the key. Here's, I think, is the key here. Another quote from another industry analyst. Some banks have tested the market on office loans, and they just can't hit the numbers. There's too much of a bid-ask spread, and there's really nothing to talk about because agreeing to the lower price would make these banks more insolvent. And so the, the key for me in that quote isn't the insolvent part. We, we, we all pretty much know that part. It's the bid-ask spread. A really big bid-ask spread is, also, is a sign of illiquidity, but we're not talking about just normal garden variety commercial real estate loans here. We're talking about CNBS and maybe CLOs, the liquid parts of the commercial real estate markets that are suddenly maybe not so liquid. Yeah, and that's a big problem if you're a money manager and you need to exit positions and you you go to put your trade in. And the same thing happens for stocks, but it should not be happening uh, in the bond market. And I think that's Jeff. What you're trying to say is this is extremely unusual. You would you know you on your on your favorite penny stock, you might expect a large big big ass spread. That would be normal. Or if there's some news going on and a stock is moving, you would expect that. You would not expect that on a commercial mortgage backed security at all ever and so what it's telling you is look if you're looking for safety and security that's one thing if you want liquidity well you're not buying a commercial mortgage-backed security right now you've got to go to the treasury market because even though yields are rising at least in the short term we'll see where they continue to go we know they'll likely head down at some point you can still sell the thing and get cash now whereas with the cmbs need cash now well how big of a get cut do you want to take to get it and the answer is for some of these banks is um, maybe not much. And I think it gets even, the implications are much larger than just, you know, hey, am I going to be able to sell a CMBS? Because it gets into repo and collateral and transformations because if there's no liquid market or less of a reliably liquid market for CMBS, that's going to create a whole range of monetary and liquidity problems, money problems for a lot of leverage participants. 
They have to roll over these funding arrangements. And if they have to roll over a CMBS that has no liquid market or a gigantic bid of spread, guess what? The cash provider is going to come in tomorrow and say, I need more collateral today. You don't have it. If you don't have the collateral, guess what happens? You got to sell that asset into an illiquid market. You got to trigger the fire sale, which is going to put you right out of business. So what this article is really telling us, if you read, read between the lines, is that we're already seeing those types of faults uh, show up in the CMBS market. Bid S spreads widening, can't find buyers, can't find liquid markets. We don't see just yet all the full range of implications and the second and third order impacts that are going to come from all this, starting with who the hell's going to want to uh, lend in this space to begin with? Because when it's all risk, not just credit risk, but also liquidity risk, this whole area is going to have to dry right up even worse than it is. It's, it's, it's a time bomb just waiting to go off. So safety and liquidity demand, it's not so unreasonable and uncertain. Exactly. Because, Jeff, you, you've kind of the article suggested, look, the, the banks, if they started selling these things, would be insolvent, which tells us they're insolvent. So that's a problem. And so the banks are looking at this going, look, we know that we're going to have to re start refining these loans. We know the value of some of these buildings is coming down. We know the occupancy rate is in the toilet. We know the probabilities that the people holding these notes could, are going to walk away, it's probably pretty darn high. If we can unload them onto the unsuspecting public, who hopefully has no clue how bad things are, well, we can maybe start dodging some of these bullets and get a little more time here. Maybe things turn around and we can get out of this mess. And that's the problem is, you know, they're, they're going to the table to try to unload these and finding out that there's no market for it. I mean, that is really frightening. Yeah, what they're really saying is, we can see the freight train coming and we're going to get out of the way before everybody else. We're trying to get out of this before the avalanche hits us. And what they're finding is, oh, crap, we can't. It's, it may already be too late. And what do you do in that situation? Well, then you're forced into illiquidity or real liquidity issues where you have to start thinking, well, I can't sell the CMBS because I'm going to take a huge loss. I'm going to have to start selling something else because I don't have I have such a huge liquidity mismatch and the repo market's no recourse anymore. I, had can, I only have a range of bad and worse options in front of me, which at the very minimum, just the absolute minimum means banks are not going to be lending into the economy. There's all sorts of other potential problems, but that's just as a absolute minimum. There's the credit crunch. And it's also worth pointing out here, Stephen. I know you did this before as we were talking. The Fed's BTP, BTPF, whatever they call that damn thing, is up to $106 billion and continuing to rise. You put all of these pieces together with the inverted yield curve. Nobody cares about the 30-year auction. There's safety and liquidity concerns everywhere we look. Yeah, Jeff, and it makes you wonder, when is the Fed going to start buying CNBSs through that program? Because, it, look, I mean, I, I know we're kind of joking about it, but the reality is, look, I mean, you, you use a great example. The banks are on the train track. It's the, the train's coming and they're looking behind them going like, Oh, can we, can, can we swap positions? And they're looking back and there's nobody there. I mean, nobody. And so what do you do when that train's about to hit you? Somebody's going to have to give the banks cash. They're going to have to offload these things, but they can't sell them and they're going to need cash. I mean, is this another potential Fed bailout coming? What do you think? 
Yes, Steve, there's going to be a new tool. Shocking, right? Because the Fed always said, we've got all the tools we need. And then they have to invent another tool because something else, it's like whack-a-mole. Something else comes up everywhere else. And that's really the point here. You want to focus on too many treasuries in the 30-year treasury auction. And, you know, the timing of this, as you always say, you can't put a clock on it because these are very complicated processes. But you can see that all of these things are continuing to combine in the wrong direction. And we're in right in that period where if this thing really does start to heat up, all of the ingredients are, all the tinders already arranged, it's all dry and it's ready for just the smallest little spark to set it off. And that's really what we're getting here. Illiquidity plus the economic situation, which is getting worse around the world. It is a bad, bad mix. If you want more discussion between me and Steve about the yield curve, check out the video at the link below. And as always, thank you very much for joining me. Huge thank you, Eurodollar University subscribers, and of course, our Eurodollar University members. Until next time, take care.